Iced tea. Go a cappella. Now I'm on the West Coast, relaxing and chill, living on the mead streets of Beverly Hill. I have I love I, it. You way better than a lot of rappers that are making yes. records right now. She is Olivia Munn. Drop my name as much as you can. By the way, I am a first-class name dropper. The great, legendary John Madden. And then on the phone, Steve Marriott. She's- <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. You watch a guy. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is that? Mooch, how did you sniff that out so quickly? I sniffed that out. I sniffed that out. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. It's the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast. We've got the gang back together all in one place. Rich Eisen along with Chris Law. How are you, Chris Law? Rich, I'm doing good. Good to see you. And fresh back from Northern California where he watched his Syracuse Orange advance to the Sweet 16 just like my Michigan Wolverines did. Chris Brockman, good to see you. Rich, thank you for that. Fantastic. I'm well. Where is Penn State basketball? Right Penn now, State let's basketball. see. Are they in the? Are they in Coach, the NIT? Could, no, is, I don't know. Is there that CBI? I saw, I saw Penn State on the Today Show this week. Uh, what, was that, was, what? What was what? Uh, oh, was that was. There? Oh, that was the. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, that was uh-huh. the one on one with the former defensive coordinator. That's ah. that, uh, uh, low blow. Is it really? <sighs> no, no. Oh my so. gosh! <laughs> I went there. Yeah. I did go there. Wow. Wow. I'm on fire right now. You better just step back because, I mean, we're less than a month from the draft. Things are heating up. I mean, we did get our first Big Ten win in men's basketball this season off of your number fourth ranked Michigan Wolverines. Uh, You mean, which uh, that same Wolverines team that is advanced to the Sweet 16. It's all said and done. It's the here and now, as you all know. There are 16 teams left. Do you know that Trey Trey Burke originally committed to Penn State and then ended up at Michigan? How about that? Columbus, Ohio guy, too. Yeah. Um, And so there's four Big Ten teams. Yep. And three teams from the state of Florida, and oh, Syracuse, yeah. Syracuse, and the, and the and I, the rest. Of I the didn't field. watch Florida Gulf Coast's game against Georgetown, so I didn't really know what everyone was talking about. I watched their entire second game against uh, what San about Diego. Dunk state. City, you're talking Dunk about? City. They are so exciting to watch. It's insane. Yeah, right. some, somebody had a great tweet. It was like Florida Gulf Coast is that uh, fake college and movies that athletes go to. Yeah, that, it's, <laughs> it's it's Thornton Mellon, right? <laughs> right. It's it's from back to school, oh, right? Great, yeah, or like uh, he got game like Big State and Tech U. Yeah, Florida yeah. Gulf Coast. That is funny. Yeah, um, but uh, in the midst of all of the March Madness, we uh, we're moving forward uh, with the National Football League's news. Um, a lot going on. Right uh, on the day of the taping, it was Notre Dame Pro Day. Manti Teo's most anticipated forty-yard dash. When uh, Mike Mayock and I interviewed him on uh, the day that he ran two four sevens at the scouting combine, he said that he had been running in the four fives in his preps and expected to do so at the pro day in Notre Dame. And guess what he ran? Four seven. Four seven He's one. a four seven forty guy. Same way that I'm a 6.03 six point oh three guy. You are what you are when you run the forty. That's right. And he's four seven. The question is, what does that mean? Probably not a much. I don't know. I mean, the guys basically, unless they do find Lene Kakua <laughs> or another figurative one, I don't think his draft stock's going to be affected one way or the other. It really is what you make of the entire product, and that includes obviously the tape of what he's done, and he has quite the impressive resume that earned him second overall in the right. Heisman Trophy f- right. uh, f- finish. But then there's the eye in the sky that never lies from the BCS championship game that he everybody talks about. Him. 
He was not good. And and in that regard, we have perhaps the foremost watcher of film on this podcast, Greg Cosell, yes. longtime NFL Films producer. He was one of the um, driving forces behind a the quintessential X's and O's football show NFL matchup yeah. that's been on the uh, the worldwide leader in sports family of networks for almost two decades, right? Yeah. Longer. Filmed right out of NFL Films. Longer. Than two decades. Yeah, so three decades, right? And so he's been watching film his entire life. And the last name of Cosell, if you are a football fan, which you are here, obviously, uh, listening to this show, it is in fact related to Howard Cosell. He's his nephew. Yes. Uncle Howard. Uncle Howie. Wow. Um, I want to talk to him about all that stuff because I'm a a Cosell junkie. Yeah, we had him on last year. I mean, it's been a while since we've had him on. He's never had Greg Cosell on this podcast. We've had Cosell on the podcast before. No, sir. No, sir. I can't recall. I am the foremost expert as to who's <laughs> been on this show and who has not. And he is not. Hold on. Unless, you know, you busted out the Ouija board and got Uncle Howie on the show and we're mistaken. No chance, pal. No, oh. No chance at all. I think you're all. right. I thought we had him on for a Unless brief... it was that time I was on vacation and you, you got him on. No, or, we just had a couple of no. Penn State Oh, that's right. You only oh, went with week. Nittany Lions on that show. Still waiting for the Syracuse edition of this podcast. Well, I'm on vacation next week. You you got back to... We had the Red Zone edition with two Syracuse alums. You're good. <laughs> okay. Think, no, no. <laughs> I mean, sh- sure. I guess uh, that works. Um, so Greg's going to come on and he watches he watches a ton of tape. And what he's yes, done he essentially is he is he's turned himself into part of this cottage industry here, right? Yep. I mean, he's been an NFL Films producer for years, and he's been blogging about it and 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 tweeting about it, and year after year after year, more and more people are seeking out his opinions. Right. And now he's in the mix. He's on our path to the draft he's programs. TV rounds. He's been uh, blogging for Yahoo, correct? Is it what yep, you he doing? writes for Yahoo. He did he's blogging um, it up for, for NFL.com's combine coverage. He was one of the analysts. There he was. For, yeah, uh, he was at the combine, combine. with us. Yeah, and uh, we'll be making his first appearance on this <laughs> podcast. Man, how did I get that wrong? Probably I have no idea. I, the gatekeeper. I should know this stuff. You're a gatekeeper, no doubt. You're a gatekeeper. He also played college basketball at Amherst, so NCAA tournament. It's perfect. Time. There you go. Um, also, the pro day of one Vince Young today. <laughs> I mean, could you believe we have reached the point where former pro bowlers are now having pro former days? Former pro bowlers and top five draft choices are having a second bite at the pro day apple. also just shows you how great Mac, Mac Brown is. Just like, all right, come out here. All the scouts are going to be here to see our prospects. Why don't you throw? Because obviously in this new day and age of the read option, why wouldn't somebody want to take a shot a at Vince life. Young? Yeah. Why wouldn't somebody want to have him as a backup? It's a little bit start? like going back to your high school and trying to get in a pickup basketball game, though, to me. Like, I don't know. Isn't it a little odd? Weird? Well, you got to make ends around? meet here. you got to make ends meet. So you think, based on his pro day performance today, he may or may not get... I don't know. You t- get all it takes is one, as you see every year. That's that's the phrase we say every right, year. Right. Who's going to trade up for Manti Teo at the end of the first round? Who's going to go yeah. ahead and take Ryan Nassib maybe in the first yeah. round? Who is the one who's going to take Tim Tebow in the first round? Just okay. takes one, man. Just takes one. And right. then and then once you get there, you're one play away. So, I mean, all he has to do is really be a backup. Right. So, I mean. But the, the on the field's never been the issue. It's the head It's the head and off the field issues with Vince Young. Well, really? maybe, maybe what's happened in the last year and a half for Vince will 
snap a little bit of reality into him there. I mean, how old is Vince Young? 29, maybe? Same age as Reggie. I mean, he's got to be, tw- I think he's 27. 20. No. Well, I mean, you can look that up while I move on to the other news of the day, which is Elvis Doomerville being introduced as a Baltimore Raven. And it's always, you know, it's funny. You, you always, it took me a few years to realize this, let's put it this way, in, in, in our job, that the non-playing season, as we say, is long long season seven months and everybody had the knee-jerk reaction with the ravens that they have fallen out of contention in their division forget about repeating but to lose the number of starters that they lost five right bernard pollard ed reed anquan bolden daniel Ellerby, ray lewis i thought it was eight okay that's just off the top of my head kruger kruger that's six it, it, it's eight. Uh, I know Matt, it's Matt eight. Burke retired. Right. There's seven. So eight. We'll throw one in there that we haven't thought of. Yes. Yeah, okay. And those are some serious contributing parts that they've got no shot. Well, they went ahead and got the premier pass rusher and free agency that popped on the market because <laughs> of a fax issue. Right. Or a lot of people are thinking, well, if the Broncos really wanted him, they right. would have gotten the paperwork done. Well, if Doomerville really wanted to stay, Carrie he would Williams have gotten it the in. Eagles. There you go. There's the eighth. So a lot of people are wondering, what was that all about? Bottom line is, is the Ravens-Broncos game, just like the Broncos-Patriots game, just got kicked up a notch coming in 2013 a lot of folks are wondering maybe that Ravens Broncos game in Denver is going to be your first game of the season because the Ravens can't open at home based on that whole baseball uh, football Rosh Hashanah so strange try odd triangular triangulation of events that prevented the Ravens from opening up at home why is it that they can't play on Wednesday Rosh Hashanah oh and Friday was they don't they don't play on Friday. For high school football. I, I believe I believe this. I've heard this, and I, I'm wondering if this is true. That the antitrust exemption that the league has and got um, put in place by Congress back in the '60s when there was the merger that came through. That part of that deal was the NFL cannot schedule games on Friday nights because high school, and that some of the grassroots politicians back then made sure that the NFL will never compete against high school. So I don't believe the NFL can do Friday. Now, they could have done Saturday, which would have been the second Saturday of college football season. Right. Or they could have just had the Ravens open up on Sunday night football. Which would have been pretty And just had another fantastic marquee matchup that had nothing to do with the Super Bowl winner open the season on Thursday. And I guess... Like the Patriots-Broncos. This is all completely... Yeah. This is all completely conjecture, right? Complete, uh, you know, complete conjecture here. But I think the league wanted to keep at least one, you know, they had to keep the tradition of the Super Bowl winner opens on Thursday, whether it's at home or away. They wanted that to happen. Um, and now rumor has it that the Ravens will open the season at home, or they will open their home season on Thursday night for NFL Network's season debut of Thursday Night Football in 2013. Uh, Peter King put that forward as an idea potentially being talked about in his Monday morning quarterback this past week, and I for one second that. I would love that. That would be fantastic. 
you know, we opened our season last year with Bears at Packers. Right. How about uh, I don't I don't know if we'll be able Ravens, to pry uh, loose Ravens Patriots. Ravens Steelers. Oh, that would be great. I, d- be. I I don't know. I, I if I would guess, it would be another AFC North battle. I mean, we got Cleveland at the Ravens last year, which was the opener of the season for the real refs. That also was hmm. a great. If you remember, it's true. Um, that was the real ref opener. What is it? Joe yeah. Tessitore was like yeah. waving to the yeah, crowd. I know. And then, with the, and then truly, one quarter in with some ridiculous <laughs> helmet-to-helmet call over the middle. It was over. Booed like crazy. <laughs> truly took a quarter and a half for everybody to snap back to reality and treat them like the bums that they really are. <laughs> like the bums that they really are. <laughs> you know, so. D- Dean's going to appreciate that one. Yeah, Dean Blandino <laughs> last week's uh, um, what's his guest. Kid, what's, the, his, what's his kid think? That's what uh, I was not great. That was fantastic. The VP of uh, the top zebra in the National Football League. So I guess those are the the top stories right now. That yeah. Doomerville w- comes in now. Uh, all of the Ravens' offseason moves have hit the defensive line. Everybody, Canty came in, yeah, and um, they went ahead and and got Doomerville as an edge rusher with Terrell Suggs, who was ecstatic about the move, and he should be. And now everybody's like, hold on a minute, okay, so no Reed, no Ray, no Ellerby, no Bernard Pollard, but there's Sizzle with Doomerville coming off opposite edges, and Ozzy doing his usual thing in the draft, and maybe there's a lot of talent that's sitting out there week two, week three of free agency that are ready to be picked up at bargain bid prices. Yeah. It's never over, man. You can't make the snap one week into the new league year judgment on how a team's right. doing. It's crazy that the Broncos wanted him to restructure from $12 million down to $8 million a year, and he just signed a $35 million deal with the Ravens. Well, 12.5 you, guarantee. You knew his new agents were not going to they, – they couldn't they, – I'm sure they, they, they were chosen on the fact that we'll get you more money than you lost – yeah. Denver, and I believe I saw that again. This was in Peter King's column that he got eight and a half million, and the, the fax was for eight million. So he actually made five hundred thousand dollars more for this coming season. Jeez. It's all it's all mind boggling money when you think about it, anyway. But um, that's what we're looking at. And Manti Teo says no to the uh, invitation to the draft in New York City. That's right. Smart move. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, there's, keep a low but there's no upside for him to be there. I don't think so. You know, unless I, it's to meet people. I, I th- <laughs> it's a big city. I think. If, I think if I was a top prospect, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to go there. I think I would go the Joe Thomas route. Remember how he was like out fishing with his dad or something? Yeah, we skyped. We skyped with him. Yeah, I mean, we I got him the- on. We got him on by. We got his reaction via Skype. It was pretty cool. I mean, even the big party at home with like 30 people seems a bit much these days. But going to New York City with your family. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And that's part of the reason why probably Teo said no to because, you know, the prospects appear on the CBS morning show. Or, they do the whole tour I that mean, day. They, they do, do the, the New York whole, Stock Exchange on I know. Wednesday. They do, they do and, and, and for him to just spend it with his family and out of the spotlight with right. all of these questions, there's still, I mean, he will always have these questions, but they will they will peter out day by day, yep. and then when he stops somebody on third and short for his new team, they'll completely disappear for the fan base. For the fan base. For the other 31 fan bases, it won't. But he says no to his invite to New York City. 
So that's one less guy that we're going to be seeing in person. Um, shall we dial up Greg Cosell? Yes, let's get Greg on. Let's get him on. Let's talk about who is uh, up for grabs in the 2013 draft. Our continuing coverage here on the podcast with an eye towards the NFL draft of 2013 with pro days in full swing and rumors swirling about. It rolls on with Greg Cosell, a longtime NFL Films producer and now a self-made man in this morass we call talent evaluation in the National Football League calendar here. How are you, Greg? Rich, uh, it's great to be with you. When is your pro day, by the way? Well, <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. When, when was Michigan's pro day? Let's put it that way. Or is it coming up? You know, I don't know. All I know is they're still playing in the NCAA tournament. That's, I'm taking that. I know that's yeah. a different sport, but, you know. I'm no, sure that's fine with out. me. They, they are playing in the home of the Dallas Cowboys, the Jones Mahal, against Kansas on Friday night. And I can only hope they fare better than the last Michigan team that played in that building. Uh, one of the many tapes on Alabama, I'm sure you have been studying. Uh, yes, uh, and ho- hopefully there won't be an ice storm this time in, in Arlington. That's another one. Let's hope yeah. that that happens with all the craziness with the weather. But that's right. So, that's right. So, so give me an idea of how you spend your day right now, Greg. Right now, I come in, I get in pretty early, Rich. I get in by quarter to seven, and I pretty much hit the tape. I, uh, I try to watch as many games and as many players as I can. And I watch every play, and it's, you know, it, it's the, I'm sure uh, Mr. Mayock does a lot of the same thing. You sit here with a clicker, and you watch each play as many times as you feel is necessary. So it takes uh, a while to get through a game. Right, and then where are you, I guess, in your evaluation of the entire class of 2013? Well, you know what I like to say, Rich? I'm updating you're constantly <laughs> updating because, you know, in our business, as you well know, you've got to make these strong statements on a daily basis. And I've made a few, I guess, over the last week or two. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, now with social media, you know, those things, they're, they're forever. It's real they time. They don't go away. Right. It's real time. So, but, you know, you're constantly updating mm-hmm. because you watch more tape and you, you maybe change a viewpoint or you see something you didn't see before and it forces you to watch a little more. So uh, I can just imagine how teams do this. Now, before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of, um, of the actual uh, fruits of your labor, I want to just try and hit up on, on why you're doing this and how you got about to do this and become one of the most uh, respected voices and uh, analysts and evaluators that are out there right now. And I, I just want to start with, with you walking into the NFL Films building for the first time. When, when did that happen? On July twenty third, nineteen seventy nine, Rich, <laughs> so... when I was five years old. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Back in nineteen seventy nine, five years of age. Come on, Greg. yes, come yes. on, man. And actually, uh, that, yeah, that, that that's was my like first day at NFL Films. That's how. Well, hold on a minute, Greg. Since. That sounded like a Ziggy Ansaw birth certificate story, right there. There you go. There you go. With you fudging the age it. a little bit. Uh, uh, but yes, yeah, so I. Uh, and and I've spent many hours here. So, uh, but it's been God going on thirty four years. Right. And who was the first person you saw? Why, how did you walk into the building for the first time? Well, I was actually I interviewed with Ed Sable mm-hmm. and with another gentleman named John Hens, who unfortunately passed away only six months after I started. But I interviewed with with Ed Sable, not Steve Sable. And about a week later, I was offered the job. And I started on July 23rd, 79. The company was much, much smaller. Yeah, sure. I guess we only had about 40 or 50 people back then. And now we probably have 270 or so, give or take. What was the job? What was the job offer? 
Well, basically, I was a producer, and uh, but at that point, unlike now, you came in and you learned. So for the first year that I was there, we really I, I did practice things. Nothing I did uh, went on the air, and obviously there was no NFL Network. We were purely a production company sure. making documentary films, doing things like Game of the Week, um, the, the NFL Review and Preview Show, things like that. So I didn't do anything that went on the air for at least a year. I did the same thing when I was on Sports Center. Uh, I first got there, it was a much shorter period of observation. That's what we'd call it. You'd, you'd get your schedule and you would observe. Right. Um, and I was one of the last hires, actually, back in 96 that uh, wasn't thrown straight on ESPN News for a while to cut cut your teeth. I went straight from being hired onto SportsCenter, but I had to observe for, for about a month. And so you were observing for about a year before you went and did what? Uh, basically, uh, one of the first things I did, and, and it was the young guys always did this because you worked all night, mm-hmm. was you remember the old game of the week show? Sure. Yeah. Well, you, what would happen is that game would be chosen. It would normally be an East Coast or Midwest game because it would have to get to our building, the film, by, let's say, oh nine or 10 at night. You couldn't do a West Coast game because the film would get there too late. <laughs> and you'd come into work 10 o'clock at night, and th- that was back in the day where you sat with the film and you actually rolled it. Uh, you know, <laughs> there was no video, no digital. And you'd pull shots and, and hang them on what we called a trim basket. You'd actually hang the film, the pieces of the film, and then you'd edit using what was called a hot splicer. <laughs> and uh, you'd work all through the night yeah. editing, and then you'd write a script. And if I think back to some of my scripts, Rich, I'd probably cringe. Right. Is that right? No kidding. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, on the network, if they play old films, you know, and I see it's, it's, it's a highlight film I did in 1982, uh, you know, I, I run for the hills. <laughs> and so you would do that for, for how long? Did you ever go I out? I did that, that particular thing probably for six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And um, then there was also something we called the Navy Monday night game. I think it was sponsored by the U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. So you'd, I'd work all Sunday night, go home and sleep, and then watch the Monday night game, and then I'd have to do the Monday night game the, the, uh, all through Tuesday night. And so you were, I was basically up all night, two out of three nights, which even at a young age does wonders for your internal system. <laughs> so you're cutting up game film from yes. a broadcast that your uncle was doing? Is that what you're saying? No, no. The, we shot it. The NFL film. No, right. But, but the game. game well, so you're, NFL film shoots the game. You're right. cutting that part up. But the game is being broadcast by your uncle at that Correct. time, right? Back in the and, day. And, and by the way, were you aware that yesterday, if he was still alive, it would have been his 95th birthday? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you Isn't something about... Greg, let me tell you something about your uncle. Uh, I mean, for I'm a 43-year-old man, and people ask me, who are your idols in the sports business? Who are the people that you grew up watching and loving? First word I throw out is Marv Albert because I'm a New Yorker, and just you, and, and you're yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a Queens. You're for, you're, if you're from Queens, I'm from Staten Island, so you know there what you, Mar- you know what Marv means to a New York sports I can, fan. I think I can recite the first twenty seconds of the Game Seven of Knicks Lakers in 1969. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he is he is the all time great for right. me growing up, and then the second person I mention is your uncle. And and the reason for that is is of what he stood for, obviously, with Muhammad Ali and what he stood for back in the 60s and the 70s and what he became being a, a lawyer 
who in who in our who in our business will ever go from lawyer to Monday Night Football booth? Who will ever do anymore. that again? Yeah, that won't happen anymore. You know, and then and the whole telling it like it is, and his demeanor and what he what he stood for, uh, and and how somebody can uh, analyze a play in one hand, uh, break the the news of John Lennon's death on the other. I mean, what he did was he was a broadcaster, and yeah. and of course an all time great, and that's that's what he means to me. Uh, here in 2013, and I would just love to get any stories that you have about how well, he formulated what 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 you are and what what you do for a living right now. Even well, the, there's a couple, but one that I've never ever forgotten is I remember visiting him when he lived with um, uh, my aunt Emmy in in New York City. And it was time for, I forget how old I was, but he was still active doing radio and, and, and TV. And I remember he had to do his Howard Cosell speaking of sports, which was on the radio for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And he went in, he had, he had the ticker tape. This was back in the day when they had the AP ticker. And he looks at the ticker to see what the news of the day is in sports and elsewhere. He must have looked at it for 15 seconds. Okay, which to me was not a very long amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then the producer's on the other end, and he tells the producer, okay, I'm ready. And the producer says, okay, you've got three minutes. And he just talks totally extemporaneously, mm-hmm. and he stops, and it's three minutes to the second. <laughs> I've never, ever forgotten. And, and of course, what he said was it dealt with ten different subjects. It was brilliant. It just rolled. It was fluid. It all made sense. And it was three minutes to the second. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, you know, for someone like yourself, you know how difficult that is. Yes. And and it just and he did that all the time. It was that it's, was a non-issue for him. The internal clock, it's incredible. Yep. I mean, and I I met him once, once, and I'll never forget. It was in the New York. It was in Yankee Stadium press box, in the um, early nineties, and I worked for the Staten Island Advance newspaper, and um, I um, I saw him. He was there. It was during a Yankee game, and I, I used my, my press pass to get into the, uh, to the press box. And I went up to him, and I introduced myself to him. And he looks at my, my media guy, uh, my, my, my tag, my press pass, and he goes, What erstwhile newspaper do you work for? And he looks down, <laughs> and he goes, The Staten Island Advance, like that, and just <laughs> laughed, shook my hand, and walked away. <laughs> and it was just one of the greatest moments I've ever been run over by somebody. <laughs> well, it's, it's probably it, a good thing because one of his all-time great stories, which he, he, you know, of course, you get to know all the stories. It's sure. just like my dad, his brother, mm-hmm. who would tell the same jokes all the time. But, you know, <laughs> the stories are always, if, if Howard meets you or sees you and you're with your wife, he, of course, says to your wife, you know, how... how terrible he feels for you because you've married this man you know and, and of course he has his own nimble way of doing that which i can't quite do but yes. that was always one of his uh, uh, his great moments that's right and then a lot of people you know with the and what he would do outside of his career in sports um you know i'm a big odd couple fan he had some great classic right. classic um guest appearances uh on on um uh, on uh, on the Odd Couple, and he had his own variety show. That's right. In which he, the the members of his troupe, his comedy troupe, were called 
the prime time players. And so when that. so when Saturday Night Live came on the air in the mid seventies, their nickname was the Not Ready for Prime Time Players, sort of poking fun of your uncle's now it's funny variety you say, show. I was in college then when my because I remember my parents went to see the show. It may have been the first one in New York. I couldn't go because I was in college, and I think that was a year or two before Saturday Night Live started. Mm-hmm. But and he, I remember Saturday Night Live, if I'm not mistaken, started in 76. 75, 75 or seventy six. Yeah. And I believe Steve Martin was the first host. And then, you know, they call themselves the not ready for primetime right. players because, you know, Howard Cosell had the primetime players. And so did he, was he part of the reason why you were interested in working for NFL Films at all? Is you that... know, I get asked that a lot, and I would, the answer is probably no. I grew up, and of course, when I was growing up, that's when he was in his prime. And they lived a little too far away for me to see him regularly. So I just kind of did my thing. I mean, I started playing sports when I was three years old. I played sports. I played basketball and baseball in high school. I played basketball in college. So I was always into sports and really just wanted to do that if I could in my career. Mm -hmm. So I I was told after the fact that I believe Ed Sable, who knew my uncle well, contacted him after I applied. Uh, So I have no idea how that went. But it wasn't. I didn't apply for sports jobs and for the job at NFL Films because of my uncle. Right. So your uncle's Howard Cosell. You're interviewed by Ed Sable, and you essentially work with Steve Sable your entire Correct. professional career. Do you ever? I mean, do you ever sit uh, back? Some of the all-time <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Ever, I mean, you you knew Steve. I was there a better human being than Steve Sable. No, there wasn't. There really wasn't, Greg. And you know, I'm I miss him. You know, I've oh. never met. I've never met a better raconteur in my entire life. And, you know, of the many obviously awful things about what happened with Steve, uh, the one that really always got me was his, after uh, his seizure, his loss of memory, and that he still had the spark. You know, when you met him and you saw him, he still slapped you on the back and had that smile and... And then, but just the ability of just like, well, one football story would spark 10 encyclopedic type knowledgeable at his fingertips type stories. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite thing about him. He would just well, go on and on and, and you would just sit back and marvel at it and soak it in. Well, that was the thing we always talked about here that was so, so sad before he passed was that the greatest storyteller ever couldn't tell stories anymore mm-hmm. it's the truth yeah but obviously we remember him for the way he would tell stories and without question i mean our, our first super bowl that we covered um greg was in um houston it was the new england carolina and uh super bowl and one of the first interviews we did was steve sitting down and i asked everybody part of the crew what do you have a question for steve sable and I got 20, 25 of them, and I asked them all because we just kept going. It was uh, The interview had to go about 20, 25 minutes, and none of, not all of that obviously could make air. Now it would be a podcast, you know? But, Absolutely. But yeah. uh, it was incredible. And the one story that he told that blew me away, I asked him, it was one of our uh, APs had a question that I asked him, uh, which coach did you have to bleep out the most after wiring him? Would you get? Could you guess which one? Because it blew me away. The answer was well. Greg. I remember that Jim Hannafin was always an issue. 
It wasn't him. It wasn't him. No, it was one that you would not expect. Oh, Marv Levy. Yes. 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 The guy who said the word overofficious. Yes, yes. Needed to be bleeped He wasn't really using that Harvard education that much in those moments. (laughs) It was Marv Levy. That's right. <laughs> he had to be bleeped out the most, man. No, no. Well, it's funny because, as you can appreciate, because I've been here so long, mm-hmm. I've seen you know pretty much all the wires, so I'm well aware of the things that will never, ever see the light of day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and one last one on this before we start turning uh, to the here and now. Um, is it true there is an archival gold mine of John Facenda outtakes yeah, he works as blue as you possibly can get. He was, but you know what, Rich? Yes. I, I, I don't want to say I had the pleasure because I worked with John numerous times, yes. but I was the last one to work with John before he passed. No kidding. And, and I had to go to his house because he was not feeling as well as, you know, I guess we all kind of knew that the, the his days were numbered. So I went to his house and of course he had a studio. But we talked about Steve Sable being just a great human being. So was John Facenda. There was just not a better guy than John Facenda, and he was so much fun to work with. And he was a he was a local newscaster in Philadelphia that Ed turned to, right, and turned into the voice of God. When when the local news was not the action news format, and they had (laughs) you know he was the Walter Cronkite of Philadelphia. One guy read all the news. He he wasn't he wasn't the guy basically. And and finally tonight here is a panda. Bear that has been brought right, to the right, new zoo. Right. Like yeah. he didn't. That wasn't. That was in his style of, of local no, newscasting. No, he didn't send it to someone who would then say, "Twelve hours ago, something happened <laughs> right. here, but we could get someone here alive now, so that's why we're here." Right. I'm standing live where something has not happened over the last day and a half, but I'm here exactly. live. But we think it might. Too. <laughs> that's right. right. At Monday night matchup that you were talking about turned into NFL matchup, which is Correct. what Sal Powell and Jaws and Merrill Hodge and everyone points to in many ways is as the quintessential X and O's football show? Well, I, I certainly like to think so. You know, I, I don't necessarily say that a lot, but as long as you mentioned it, uh, I can jump right in okay. on that and agree with you. <laughs> well, people say that. Obviously, I work for NFL Media. We feel we've right. got ourselves some great, uh, you know, shows. Well, that there was done a great example, films. though, of Steve Sable, because in 1984, believe it or not, I'd been here five years. And he came to me and he said, you know what, I have, a, I have an idea for a show that... It's never been done, and people will say it can't be done, and you're the guy to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was matchup, and it became my show right from the start. And believe me, for years and years, Rich, everybody said, oh, no one cares about the game that way. But we were fortunate. ESPN was still in its formative years. They didn't even have NFL football yet back then on their network. So they were just looking for programming. So we had a chance to grow. And if I were to look back at some of those early shows now, just like my early highlight films, I would cringe as well. (laughs) But you go through a trial and error and and you, you learn. And you know, I, I sort of morphed from being a documentary filmmaker, and I still do some of that in the in the off season. But I kind of morphed from being a documentary filmmaker into a football guy, yeah. just because I, I grew to love the game from an X and O standpoint. And you have watched uh, reams of film. You've hung them and uh, you've hung them in the air and dried them and and uh, moved them back and forth, shuttled them back and forth to see these players and what they can do in space and whatnot. So now you're actually 
putting it to this use of yes. analyzing a draft class, essentially. And I've been doing, I started, because I started watching the NFL coaching tape. We got the NFL tape in 93. So I've been watching NFL coaching tape for going on 20 years. So I, I would say probably about seven, eight years ago was when I really said, you know what, I would really like to watch these college guys on film too. So that's when I started delving into that as well. Let's delve into it now. Let's delve into it now, Greg. Okay. Starting with the the one, um, I guess, uh, and piece of analysis that you've had to date that leaps out at people, and I think you know what I'm referring to, that you having at the top of your quarterback board, Ryan Nassib, of Syracuse. Is that the way you, you, yeah, you see this? And you know what? It's funny because we, were, we started out this and I was joking but not joking that you're constantly updating. And when I said that, uh, not that I don't believe it, but I said what I believed at the time. And now I'm watching a whole lot more Mike Glennon from North Carolina State. Because up to that point, I'd only watched three games of Mike Glennon, which for me is not enough to form a, 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 an opinion with conviction. And now I'm looking at Glennon, and I'm seeing attributes and saying to myself, you know, I kind of like this guy, too. I think this guy might be a a better talent than Nassib. So, yes, I did say that, and I believed it when I said it, because I I stand by what I say. But I think the more you watch, the more you update, and and I I like Glennon. What do you like about it? I will say, I don't think Geno Smith is the number one quarterback in this draft, I, I believe. Let's start with the why on that. Why? Well, and I wrote about this as well. I think that there are some concerns that I have. I think he throws a very nice ball. Uh, I think that he's he's an athletic kid. Uh, I, I like his presence, but there are a couple of concerns I have. One is, is his accuracy, or the term I like to use is ball location, Rich, and I think it's a little scattershot. I think he's essentially a pocket passer, and to be a high-level pocket passer, you need precise ball location. And I think he misses some routine throws, and that's always a red flag for me. The other issue, and, and I think this is – I'm anxious to see how this plays out. It's a term called slow eyes. When you watch a lot of film, you know what the route combinations are. You know where the ball's supposed to go based on the defense. And you know when a throw is there. And too many times I thought that throws that were there and clearly defined that he took an extra beat. And in the NFL, that'll kill you. You can still complete balls in college like that, but that won't happen in the NFL. And I can't answer whether that's coachable or not. I'm not a coach, so I can't answer that question. But it's definitely something I noticed on film. What about Glennon? Appeals to you then? Glennon is a big kid with great pocket presence. And and one thing that people have to remember about quarterbacks, size is a talent. You know, we don't think of it that way, but when you're big and tall and you can stand in the pocket and deliver the ball with bodies around you or, or when you're getting hit, that's a talent. And I think he has that talent. And he, he doesn't have a gun, but he has a very good arm. I think he moves fine. He doesn't move great, but he moves enough. Um, now, he's not Joe Flacco, you know, because a lot of people are comparing him to Flacco. He doesn't have that kind of arm. But Glennon is, is intriguing me the more I'm watching him. Well, it's interesting because um, uh, Daniel Jeremiah last week, Daniel Jeremiah last week, and he does an unbelievable job. He does, job, just like way. you, just like you. And that's why I like having, you know, differing opinions. 
he, he used the word terrible for Glennon. Terrible. It's interesting, yeah. Is what he said. Now, so, what, what was his, uh, not to go into every detail. No, I mean, I didn't ask for many more details. I didn't get, I didn't get many more details than that. Yeah. But and he, again, you know, everybody looks at this stuff with a different set of eyes, and that's why I love it, because I, I worked with Daniel at the, at the Combine, and I've known him for years anyway because sure. he's been a scout. Sure. And I think, quite frankly, he's, he's great at what he does. I have tremendous respect for him. Just there's a bunch of people I talk to as well, you know, each and every week, uh, guys I respect, and they give you, they give me something that I say to myself, well, I didn't quite see it that way. I'm going to go back and take a look. So it's fascinating. So if we were working for the same team, Daniel and I, yes. he, you know, we'd be in the draft room. I'd be saying, hey, I like Glenn, and he'd be saying he's terrible. <laughs> and, and, and that leads to great conversation. Right. Well, it's fascinating, again, that there's so many differing difference of so many different opinions and differing uh of thoughts that that I, that that's somebody in my position hearing all of this how do you put it all together he he believes Gino is the only first round draft choice of uh, that's it in the quarterback spot right. the only one that gets first round grade how many do you have in your first round with a well, grade the reason that's a tough question for me is this is because I think that becomes a function of putting an entire board together, which I haven't done yet, because ultimately you have to look at all the other players. See, so to me, when people early on say, oh, he's a third-round pick or he's a fourth-round pick, and I fall into it too, believe me, we all do, it's the nature of the business, but that's an abstraction. You have to look at each draft in its given year. This year... Who's to say that you know uh, some team's board might not have Ryan Nassib as the 27th best player on their board, which means to them he becomes a first-round pick. So it becomes a function of all the other players, um, much more so than just the quarterbacks as, as an isolated position group. Interesting. So how many do you have in the first <laughs> round? How many? That said, all right, said right, none. Well, how many quarterbacks well, do you if have? I'm dealing with the first it as pick? an abstraction. Yes, I would say that I would find it hard to to say that there's a quarterback in this draft that I I would say is a surefire first round pick. And that is. But now, having said that, right, I would not be surprised at all, Rich, if three or four quarterbacks get taken in the first round. Man. Just even that alone is an issue, Greg, and the fact that teams are so quarterback needy. Yes. That that smells of reach to me because you weren't well, you weren't you, you weren't story. you weren't Let saying you there's story. three or four bingo. End of yeah. story. You're talking about abstraction, you're talking about well, in a vacuum it might be X Y and Z. So to me, if I need a quarterback this year and I'm a fan of a team that needs a quarterback this year, not, buyer beware is is not even an appropriate statement in that regard. No. But here's the way it works, and and I'll tell you a story, and I'm not going to reveal the, the the team or the player because it would be wrong. But I know this for a fact. There was a quarterback chosen first a number of years ago. That was actually the 29th rated player on that team's board. Yeah, And because of the value of the quarterback position and the need for every team to get that guy, they drafted the quarterback first. It didn't quite work out. 
interesting. Who's you won't say who that is? Uh, no, I can't. But uh, it just it, it reflects your point, and that's going to happen this year. I guarantee it. And then the other thing you have, which I find really fascinating, and again, it's news, and we all talk about it, is this pro day stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand how a guy throwing in shorts and a t-shirt to his own receivers, how that somehow uh, impacts a player's draft position. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's just the media talking, but I don't understand that. So who are the wow guys? Who are you seeing on film going, wow? You, at any position? Hey, give me one. Give me, give me some because I'm looking for oh. them. I'm, I'm the guy who's doing the so-called gavel to gavel coverage, even though there is no gavel. Well, I'll tell you who so far my favorite player on tape is, and that's Sharif Floyd from Florida. I love that kid, and I also love Tavon Austin from West Virginia. And I really believe, and I know the size issue, and I understand reasonable people will say that, hey, that's a problem. But I think the way the NFL is moving now with a lot more of these college concepts, I think Devon Austin is a top ten pick. That's that's my opinion. Jets at nine? Well, they could certainly use a player like that. They need I wild players. They need wild players. They, and, and, you know, look what the Seahawks just did. They didn't give up all they gave up for Percy Harvin just to line up Harvin as a wide receiver. I guarantee they see him as what I like to call a movable chess piece or a joker, you know, someone who's going to play multiple positions and be a nightmare matchup for defenses. Hmm. Anyone else? You got any more wow players for me? Do I have any more wow players? Yeah. Well, let me uh, – let me – I tell you who. Uh, let's see. I tell you who I think is, to me, the most fascinating defensive player in this draft is Dion Jordan from Oregon. Yeah, why is that? Because of his size and his movement. And you were at the combine, and that guy looked like a wide receiver, the well, way he moved. Now. I can't sit here and tell you right now that he's going to step into the league and be a dominant player. He's only played defense for two years. But the guy's 6'6 six, six plus. He was 248 at the combine. I was fortunate enough to be on the field because I was working for .com. Yep. And watching this guy move, you know, there's not many people that move like that. You know, I don't necessarily want to say he's Jason Pierre-Paul, because I remember when he came out, a lot of people were leery of him because he was raw, but you know, not many people move like that. And I think Deion Jordan's another one of those guys that you just watch him and you say, I don't, I don't see that a lot. So he, he's a very intriguing player to me. Well, Mayock, every time he would come on the screen while we, he and I were, were, were up in the booth, would, would talk, sing his praises and say he needs about 25 more pounds in the frame is what he thinks. And, and, and I'm not going to disagree with Mike, uh, but, and that may or may not be true, but, uh, you know, I, he's just, he, he moves in a way that not many guys move. And I'll give you one other player who is, is now being talked about, and obviously you, you, you do this so you're aware of the players, but maybe some other people aren't. I really like this safety from Florida International, Jonathan Cyprian. Okay, now we're really talking like here. That. See, it's the Florida schools now. It's Florida Gulf, Gulf Coast, Coast yeah. International. Why not? You've know, you got to go with the Florida thing. Is the Florida International coach married to a Maxim model? Like the Florida uh, Gulf? No. Florida no, Gulf Coast? The, yeah, I don't Florida know. Florida Gulf Coast is, and he's obviously, well, no, we don't want to say anything. Hey, now. 
Talk, well, um, yeah, we, we could talk more about uh, kicking your coverage later on in our, on our conversation. But what do you like about this kid? You know, this kid to me is really athletic. And when I watched him, because I try not to look at numbers until I watch a guy, because, you know, sometimes I get prejudiced by looking at a guy's height or weight. And so I try to watch a guy first. And I couldn't believe that he was 220 pounds and the way he moved. He had an interception against Louisville in a game I watched that was just unbelievable. He came from the middle of the field all the way to the sideline. You know, for a second, it looked like Ed Reed. And uh, wow. I just think this kid, he may be – I don't think he'll be the first safety drafted, Rich, but I think he could – I wouldn't have a problem if he was the first safety drafted. What about – well, Ty Hilton was out of that, that school, so obviously they've, 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 they've got a pipeline in that regard of sending uh, talent to the next level from, from a school that not many people associate uh, with being a football um, uh, feeder, let's put it that way. What about Jarvis Jones? He's a guy that's, that seems to have one of those massive upsides, but you hear talk about stenosis. He was at the Combine, right. didn't work out, and his reason was he was going around seeing doctors about the stenosis to get himself medically cleared and check things out. I mean, we couldn't focus on his preparation for the combine which sort of mystifies and then from all accounts spit the bit at his pro day and yet you take a look at his numbers at the collegiate level and they are eye-popping to say the least where do you stand on this young man and his film's very good so now it comes down to the film versus the other factors and again i don't get a chance to talk to these kids so I don't know Jarvis Jones. I don't know what he would say in response to just the things you mentioned, uh, which are clearly red flags. I can only tell you that on film, he's a top 10 pick. Now, whether he gets drafted there will become a function of all these other factors. But I think that if you line him up, uh, to me, he's, an, he's best used as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. That would be his best position with his you know, standing up in a two-point stance. I think the film is really strong. But, it, you know, now you have the medical issue, Rich. And the medical issue, uh, maybe the money's not the same as it was three, four years ago before the new CBA. But still, do you want to pick a kid sixth, seventh, eighth in the draft with major medical concerns? Uh, a few more questions for you. The eye in the sky, what does it tell you about the best offensive tackle available and thus potentially the top pick in this draft? You know, I think that... To me, Joko and Fisher are very similar players. They're very comfortable movers. I don't think either one is at the level of, let's say, in Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden. I, I wouldn't put them at that level. Um, I think they're, they're good athletes, not exceptional athletes. I think what makes them so good is their efficiency snap after snap after snap. I went through oh, numerous games of, of Jokel from A&M, and you don't see a bad play. You don't see him off balance. You don't see him recovering because he got beat. His, his balance and body control and, and ease of movement is remarkable snap after snap after snap. So you believe, and also of, of all the coaches that you were uh, physically close to in proximity for all these years in NFL films, Andy Reid, you must know um, his tendencies more, more than any other coach perhaps in the NFL, if I can be so bold as to make that statement. Uh, what do you think he's going to end up doing? 
with that first overall pick? Well, I'll tell you what I think it will come down to. I think it will come down to his opinion of a quarterback. And because, remember, his first pick with the Eagles was Donovan McNabb. And it was the second player chosen in the draft that year. If he, for instance, thinks that Geno Smith is that guy, I would not be surprised for a second, Rich, if he took Geno Smith. Even though he just got Alex Smith for yes. two. Yes. Because oh, that would create such understands. a stink. What a stink that would create, Greg, if he went oh, ahead. What a You're stink. Right. You'd use and it to. I think he's going to do that. No, right? no, I know that. I'm just, I'm I'm just, just saying, saying. If he thinks he's that guy, because, look, we all like Alex Smith. That's not the point. But Alex Smith is not that guy. So if, if Andy thinks that Geno Smith, let's say, we're just using him as the example here, is that guy, that would not surprise me for a second. Oh, man. Poor Alex Smith, and just you know, we're in, in a, we're we're just in a hypothetical moment. Right, here. right, but, right. I mean, poor Alex Smith. What does the guy have to do? What does but the I'll guy have to do? Because if Kyle Williams holds on to one of two punts two years ago, Alex Smith is a Super Bowl quarterback. That is correct. The reason why, I mean, obviously they did struggle offensively against the Giants in that NFC Championship game that opened the door for special teams play to affect the outcome. You can definitely say that, now there, but still, I mean, you choose it. You, you send him for you're, you're one of the many who, who have this evaluation of Alex Smith. And the question is, will Andy Reid, after having spent the two on him, if he goes ahead and drafts Geno Smith, Mayock, myself, Mooch, whoever's on that desk, Irvin, Marshall, Falk, we're just going to sit there and go, poor Alex Smith. I mean, right. at, at what point during the season is he going to get Kaepernicked again? Well, it's the only you question know, you if that a happens. Great hypothetical, though. What if indeed Alex Smith played in the Super Bowl the year before and then got hurt just like he did this year? Would the same thing have happened? Yeah, maybe because it would have. I it, bet it would have. By the way, I, would have, I bet it would have. It would have just added an extra a dose of outrage for some people in the media to. Um, umbrage that they took with the move, it would have just, added, it would have just ratcheted that sense of it up. As well, we all know, though, that quieted down game after game after game. But here's the reason Andy traded for Alex Smith. He did not want the quarterback position to be the albatross around the neck of his No team. question. No because question, Greg. Alex Smith is not a star, but he's efficient, competitive, and now whatever they decide to do, because the Chiefs do not have terrible talent, Rich. No. They're ready. So, they're, I think they're ready, Greg. Yeah, so right now what Andy did is he made sure that the quarterback will not kill his team in any given week. Well, it's just smart. you got to do that. You, you have to do, do that. that. Because certainly if, you know, because he's clearly not going to keep Castle. You can't have Pioli's guy as your guy no, moving forward. No, you can't do that. that. No, I think he's already gone because I think, yeah. But, and I but think at he, least Alex Smith is efficient. He's I, not going to lose games for you. I think the Smith trade gives you a window into Andy Reid's thinking of this quarterback class, in all honesty. I agree with you, by the way, because I guarantee he had studied them before he made that trade. You know, because if he felt that there was one available that was that guy, then why would you give up a second-round pick? But if Geno Smith is that guy, it, boy, what a stink that would create. So could, he Again, could, maybe he's already made that decision that he's not, and that's why he traded for Alex Smith. Could Geno be Jacksonville or Oakland's guy? Do you think? Yeah, you know, look, the reality is, even though I don't feel that way, but I'm not really relevant to this, uh, I think that 
he will go top five, top ten. But, uh, and you think that's a that that would be a bad move by whoever takes him? Um, you can say it's that. a move I would understand, but not agree with. Okay. What yeah, about because of the nature of the position? What is your sense while we're on this subject of the future of the read option in the NFL, and and how do you think it's going to develop? Do you think we are seeing the future with Kaepernick, uh, Cam, Russell Wilson, um, and so on and so forth? Do you think this is the wave, and that it will, we, we will see uh, people draft accordingly next month? Uh. No, I don't. I think that there'll always be a few quarterbacks that can do it effectively. And by the way, there's only a few percentage-wise that can do it effectively. Will teams use it just as a change-up? Which I don't think is the, is the question you're asking. I think there'll be teams that use it as a change-up. I, I think there'll be teams like Tennessee with Jake Locker, like Minnesota with Christian Ponder, um, the Eagles if it's indeed Michael Vick. Uh, I think these are, are teams that will use it as part of their offense. Well, do I think it will ever be the foundation of an offense, much like the Redskins did? Um, only if you have that guy. And I don't think there'll be that many of those guys, quite frankly. And the other factor, Rich, is if another quarterback gets hurt significantly, I think you'll see teams rethink it. Because if you're going to have a quarterback in this league, and that's the position that determines whether you win or lose, and these guys start getting hurt, uh, you're going to have to rethink it. I had a great conversation with Chuck Pagano. He was the Maxwell Club winner here in Philadelphia. And we were talking about the read option, and he said, if I did that and Andrew Luck got hurt, I'd get a call from my owner basically telling me I'm an idiot. I don't really want to get that phone call. I would have my podcast card taken away. It doesn't exist, by the way, a podcast card. But if it did, I would have it taken away if I didn't let you go before mentioning the name Manti Teo to you and what your thought is, since obviously you predicate um, most of your analysis on the on the tape. Right. And I imagine the Alabama tape, how, how how much well, weight do you put on that? Well, I, I had made my determination well before that because okay. I watched four, four or five games before then. I think Manti Teo, quite honestly, and this is purely a tape r- response, nothing else. D- never met Manti Teo. I think there's a lot of guys like Manti Teo. I think he's a solid inside linebacker who will be a, a base personnel player in the NFL, meaning he'll play when the, uh, when the offense has their base personnel on the field. I don't think he'll play in nickel or dime sub packages. So I think, quite frankly, there's a lot of guys like him. Now, that doesn't mean he won't be a nice player, but I think if you look at Manti Teo and compare him to other linebackers that ha- have come out, I think that... John Beeson was a better player coming out. I think that James Laurinaitis was a better player coming out. I think Paul Pozlozny was a better player coming out. So I think there's a lot of guys like Manti Teo, but I think he'll play in the league for a long time and be a solid player. Greg, I appreciate the time, truly. Oh, Rich, thank you. No, you bet. Congrats on uh, on everything that's happening uh, with your uh, burgeoning career of, um, of being a, a top talent evaluator uh, in our in our season. Of evaluation, Greg. Thanks, Rich. And folks can follow you on Twitter. Can can follow you on Twitter at Greg Cosell. At Greg That's Cosell. Correct. At Greg Cosell. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you, Greg Cosell. Everybody, Greg. A, a great first foray.
yes, the Rich Eisen you're, podcast. Yes, you're correct. I mean, we were, we went we touched a lot there with well, his, his uncle. Well, I mean, think about it. As I point, as we talked about, Ed Sable interviewed him and hired him, and then he worked with Steve Sable for the lion's share of his his uh, NFL films career that he knew the start the start date off the top of his head. That was J- July 23rd. Do you remember your start date? July 23rd? I do remember my start date here. It was, you do? What was it? Uh, my first day was August 2nd, 2010. Okay. And uh, I got the I got the call uh, the week before my wedding, actually, that I was getting the job. So Okay. Worked out well. Do you remember your start date here? August 13th, 2009. <sighs> I don't remember my start date here. <laughs> <laughs> it goes to show where you were uh, in your career. I, mean, versus I don't we remember because I know, I know, I know. We launched on November fourth, two thousand three. I know that was our first day, right. I mean, but I forget when my technical start date was. Well, do you remember yours? Let's just from going from NorCal to ESPN. ESPN. Like that was your big, your big. I, I don't remember the exact. You remember start your date. first? No. What about your first? Uh, your Sports first Sports Center? Center? I remember it was a March. It was March Madness. I remember that's what it was. I remember it was a Sweet 16 March Madness. That I remember. Really? The Saturday. And I remember I did it with Larry Beal, Sir Lawrence oh, nice. Beal. Aloha means goodbye. Aloha means goodbye. Poor Larry Beal. Because I did, um, my sa- I did my first two with Larry Beal. Nice. And my first one I did with Larry, I remember it was a half-hour sports center. I think it was like the 7 o'clock Eastern Saturday sports center. Right. During March Madness, so they buried me, okay, like just in case the, the newbie was going <laughs> to blow it. Um, and I did it with Larry, sweetest guy, nicest guy, seriously, like one of the greatest. And there were, because so many games were ending, and then I'm coming from, from Redding, California, Yeah. okay, from Market 130, whatever, and the sportscasts I would do would be at 11 at night, and I would edit my own material, and sometimes it would come close. Like, my, uh, my hit time was at 11.20, right. 20 minutes into the 11 o'clock news. And the if the Golden State Warriors um, were playing late, and the news feed would come down sometimes at, like, 11. So you're scrambling and a little. So I would get, hopefully... It would be one of the first items they usually on the ABC news feed would would have throw a bone to the sportscasters who are waiting for this footage to come down by having it off the top. But sometimes, like, say, in the summer of uh, during OJ trials, they would have the ABC news reporter off first. And they would have them uh, one minute into the broadcast. It would be like at 11.01. And the reason for that is it was the news anchors at the local affiliates would be, here's what happened today, and welcome to our show at the News Open. And now we go live to so-and-so outside of the Los Angeles courthouse. Right. And they would generically talk, that the person would generically receive it and just go with their report at one minute after the hour, live. That person was Lisa Salters. Ah, Penn State grad. Who I... Met wow. years later, and I told her this too that I'd be cursing at her while I watched her stand there for the first minute <laughs> of the newsfeed, silently waiting to get tossed to. She would do her spiel, then four minutes in, I'm hoping, come on, Golden State Warrior highlights. Uh, I would get that done and I would edit it together, and that would be my, my newscast with a bunch of other stuff that I'd spent all night putting together. Right. And I was the one putting it together, so I knew. Here comes my first Sports Center. I had 13 highlights in that Sports Center. I had seen only one of them wow. walking down to the set. 
my first, first sports one. center. Yes, a dozen highlights that I would have to do live and with just paperwork that I didn't sheets, have. Right? No shot sheets in front of me at all. They would be handing it to me pretty much as, as it was. Yes, it. correct. And I remember thinking to myself, and this is a guy who also comes from right in California where the teleprompter, my teleprompter, I operated myself with a foot, with a foot pedal, foot pedal right. under the desk. <laughs> now, okay. is there any hockey in this 13 plays? Because uh, the I, names are... Right? Uh, there could have been. There could have been. Because most of them were NCAA. Yeah, but there had that. to be hockey because yeah. this was uh, March. Yeah. Absolutely had to be hockey. No we, question. We have a new mission. <laughs> Dig up this video. Oh, it exists. There's no question it exists. No, I mean, I would just, just get our hands on There's it. There's no question it exists in whatever archives, is whatever building in Bristol. Right. Long story short, um, I remember thinking to myself, I am either going to crush this thing or sh- the bed. Get crushed. <laughs> <good>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go down and do it. But that I remember. I don't remember the date. Yep. But the next day, I did another full hour-long sports center with Larry Beal. And the reason why I say poor Larry Beal is uh, I one of the things that I did in Redding, California, and this just ties into what I mentioned to Greg Cosell, anytime there was a New York Nick highlight that I got, I would do the entire highlight in Marv Albert's voice. Right. I remember that. To the point where uh, when I would be walking around town at the local high school football or basketball game, they'd say, you're going to do that New York guy tonight, Rich? You know, and and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do him like New York guy. His name's Marv Albert. He's one of the greatest of all time, you know. But sure enough, I get my first Nick highlight, and it's a minute 15 long. I did the whole highlight. In Marv's voice. Are you like looking over at him at any point in time? No, to see if no, he's okay? I'm into it. I'm locked just, in. I'm locked down. in. And guess what? And I did the only minute fifteen highlight and the score panel that came on afterward. <laughs> the full board in Marv's voice. Yes. And the next thing on the rundown is a Larry Beal on camera. He's, he's Larry, Larry, and he's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What else could he do? I boxed him into that corner. What else can he do? The new guy who's never met him before doing that stuff. Larry Beal, sweetheart of a man. I was at the U.S. Open last year in up San Up there in Fred. the Bay Area He now. works up there in the Bay. Yeah, oh, I was yeah. watching sports. KTBU. Sports up there. I hear from him every now and then. Yeah. Aloha means goodbye. And Aloha means goodbye. Oh, gosh. Um, what housekeeping do we need to do here? How about this? Here's this piece of housekeeping. All right. As you reach for your <laughs> iPhone to get your international shout-out. I got right? one. I favored it a few, so okay, I didn't good. have to scroll through. Do you know how many tweets I've been getting from listeners of this podcast about <laughs> how, how stale the open to this show oh, is? Yeah, I'm not. <sighs> in ch- I'm not in charge of the audio open. Rich. Oh, that's right. Who is? That's, oh, that's right. Chris Law. Chris. Yeah. How old is the open? Do you, have, do you have a date on the last time that you edited that? You uh, must have that. That must exist. That must be time-coded somewhere. It's somewhere. Yeah, I think we've had this one for about five and well, a half Well, I'm wrapping with iced tea, right? The lovely, gorgeous, and talented Olivia Munn. Name drop me anytime. Okay. It's maybe more like seven months. In there, She's in there. Uh, and Caliendo. By the way, Olivia Munn was almost a year ago. And Mooch, yeah. And Caliendo doing the mood. No, thing. Olivia Munn came on was last the, summer. She came on last summer because she was she, promoting the newsroom. Yeah. Which I which know because it was one of the head. many, many shows that helped. August 24th, right? Bury yeah. the Great Escape. And Magic, as Mike, done. Magic Mike, too, though. She was that was last that. June, then. So that had to be going <laughs> which, which you had. A, that was one of your greatest. Uh, what? Whenever she was like, oh, you've seen, you've seen the movie. And, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course. And it was like the opening scene. 
And uh, yeah, she yeah, and yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> a little celebrity skin moment. But yeah, so I mean, if you want to keep Olivia in there, I don't think most of our listeners would complain. But you have to refresh. I got a few on the. We're going to post uh, another show later this week. Yeah, we Michael are. Crabtree of the 49ers will join us. Yeah, we're going to have Crabtree. I will try my hardest. I will get one cut. What was that? That sounded conditional and then definitive. It was like, I'm going to try. Oh, but I'm going to do it. What was that? We're a little. So the season ends. We lose a lot of our. Your uh, seasonal, a lot seasonal, of our seasonal, seasonal employees. So yes. there's a lot that falls back on some of us to do. So our room has. You know, we have less people working in there. We're picking up slack in other departments. And Do I hear music playing? Is there yeah, music playing? There's really no excuse. I will uh, I will on. get on it. It's a lot to live up to, though, because it's a good open. The last one was good, too. I need to... So, is, is this podcast? It's priority numero... No, no, no. no, no. It just, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying to me here. In your multitude of duties... Yes. The many different important... Um, tasks handed to you, yes, placed in the Chris Law bucket by NFL Media Management. Yes, is this like um, a boutique project? No, this podcast is this is this a luxury? Is this what is this? Is this a hobby? Is this like a Bo Jackson hobby? Not like at you all. that 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 you play, you do other stuff. But this is your hobby. I mean, what is what is there's, what is it? There's, there's funneling of priorities is what I'm trying to manage here, and this is very very high, if not the highest. Up Did you there. have to schedule a meeting to come up with that phrase? By the way, my fantasy team name for next year: funneling of priorities. Of priorities. <laughs> That's my fantasy football That's amazing. team. All right. Amazing. All right. Funneling of priorities. I might be going to USC. Write it down. I might be going to USC's pro day on Wednesday. I'm, I'm out of the office. I've been gone. Okay, here we go. Do you need me to do it? Wow. Wow! Can the kid edit? Can the can you operate a final cut? Can the kid edit? <laughs> Dude, have you seen our television show? Well, he's got an editor. He's oh, he's got a wow. maestro in front of him. No, he does the We're great work of it up helping what goes in. But we are mixing talking about it physically up now. Creating. Okay. Actually, I might be busy this week watching my college basketball team. Yeah, that's it, boy. And we all come. From that's the circle. it. <laughs> They're going back east too, right? They're going to be Washington, you're going to a regular actual time zone. Washington, D.C. Well, who are you playing? Who's Syracuse playing? Indiana. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Thursday night. The okay. Harbaugh in-law. Yep. Oh, great. Yes, sir. And I got to say, I got to say. They're beatable. They are beatable. Temple everybody, had them. Temple me, had them on the ropes. Let me tell you, everybody can win this thing now. Everybody can win this thing. That's right. Uh, I, even I, I don't even put Florida any, Gulf Coast. Well, LaSalle, I don't put anything past anybody. The Southwest Philly floater, by the uh, way. How about so great. You feeling good about the Wolverines? I do. Final four? I do. The DNA. The DNA. Hardaway. Hardaway's kid the and Big, big Dog's and the kid. Big, and the Big Dog. How smooth is Big Dog's kid? He He's, looks like his dad a little bit. He plays like Big Dog. If, if Hardaway and Big Dog Jr. can continue to make their outside shots, they're going to be tough to beat. Because Trey, Trey, Trey Burke was invisible, essentially, this past weekend. You got Kansas. I don't. And I think they're vulnerable. Well, they got a big, what, what they got a huge I mean, they were down. They were down nine at the half and then right. one on fire. It's going to be fun. Their center's name is, in fact, named Whitey, correct? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think is that where, oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, letters uh, my bad. <laughs> my bad. Do I have to bleep that? No, we good. No. Just rearrange the letters a little bit. <laughs> 
yes. So, well, the other thing we were, you were talking I feel, I, about, I, the, you, my, I feel good about my team, but who knows? We're we're in the Jones Mahal, and the last time that you know, as I mentioned, Michigan played there. Just to put a capper well. on our guy Greg Rosenthal or Greg Cosell. Yes. Who did you think when he was saying the quarterback that he heard was in the twenty-nine to thirty range, but was taken first overall in a draft recently? Who do you think he was alluding to that he wouldn't answer? You have any? I mean, it could be Alex Smith. To me, it kind of rhymes with like Schmamarcus Muscle, but I'm not really sure. I don't know, but but uh, no, we, because Mayock said that Russell had the greatest workout he'd ever seen. Well, we had. But, well, I don't know. I don't know if he said that. Did he say that? I don't know. I mean, who knows? But but you know, um, we we've created ripples already with our um, our quarterback evals. Yeah, with with Cosell and and. Daniel Jeremiah, has we, have we already created ripples? Is that what's happened? Yeah, because well, Dan, Dan, we have you know, we had a, a writer in here who was writing some of the stuff that Dan, Cosa, Dan Cosa Hansus, was right? Yeah, Dan Hansus, who went on the red carpet with oh, with your guy, and uh, and yeah. he's 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 not a seasonal worker. He's he's here and he's got jobs to do and found time for the <laughs> podcast. Is that what you're saying? Well, the, the request was put in by yours truly to get somebody oh, to. You so know. you have pull. So, uh, you have minimal, pull. Minimal. You have pull. Okay. Minimal. Pull. All right. I'm just maybe that's you know. But um, I'm just. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. We, okay. You had See, he was here. And his I, comments from Daniel Jeremiah last week, which I have those. If you want to hear. Yeah, those let me back. hear this again. Yeah, here's what Daniel said last week about the the quarterback crop this yeah, year. Yeah, let's hear it. Look at some of the guys that we have. The quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, Gino, look at their team. They kind of fell apart. You know, E.J. Manuel, I looked him up. Yeah. He's played seven games against top 25 teams, six touchdown passes in seven games against top 25 teams. Mike Glenn at NC State was terrible. Ryan Nassib, Syracuse, just kind of middle of the road. Matt Barkley, USC fell apart. Tyler Wilson, Arkansas was terrible. Tyler Bray, Tennessee was terrible. Matt Scott, Arizona's average. So these guys weren't good enough to lead college teams to big-time records. So to me, that's a major red flag. So uh, for those scoring at home, there were three terribles, two fall-aparts, and one average. One average, yeah. But uh, my guy was average. So that's to clarify, <laughs> yeah. to clarify, so he was I'll, talking about their college performance, right? Not how they because I, but I, so he wanted to have that clar. He's want to have that clarified. Well, well Dan, I guess because I said to Cosell that he said that Glennon was terrible. Yeah, because but Glennon not like his number not one. his prospects. Not his, yeah, moving forward. Exactly. He's he not terrible third. as a prospect. He was just terrible at college. Just, just terrible. But he won't be terrible team, moving forward. Ex- our, our buddy DJ, he wanted it clear. Well, because I think what happened was Dan went out <laughs> to him. He was like, hey, I'm going to write up this telephone story. It's a game of telephone here. It's a game of telephone. Hansus is a muckraker. <laughs> and went down to Daniel and said, well, guess what he said. Right. But I did also see Daniel in the uh, in the newsroom in the last hour, and I told him, you know, that uh, I'm going to speak to Cosell, and he really liked Glennon, and you think he's terrible. You know, he, he, I'm glad we have clarified. We have this. clarified. He has we're stirring the pot. Third on his board. Stirring the pot. Third on his board of a so very terrible board. Terrible. Three terribles, terrible. two fall aparts, one average. Can we get a Bill Walton voice? I Oops. promise to have a new open for the show by next week. I will try no. and get one for the second no. half of this week. No. <laughs> no. 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 We no. have another show. Okay. This week. I'm on vacation next week. You are. Great. Have okay. an open for a show that I'm not doing. 
that we're going to host. Are you going to do it? I think we uh, we might do. Here's what we'll do. We'll put up a poll question. No, no, we're not. <laughs> no, doing we're not. That. We're just going to do The amount of time it will <laughs> take you to put up a poll question, <laughs> we'll be able to put at least one soundbite uh, into your final cut. Okay, fine. Hey, you know what has to be in there? Rich's, Rich's fantasy rant about LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to there, be there's a few, Keep there's it a up, few you're going to lose. The keep it up, you're going to lose story. Stone Street. I mean, now we're getting into we're getting into last year, middle of last year stuff. Oh my but, but it's all Lord. fresh. It's because we, we haven't had a new open oh, in forever. Oh, God. How insignificant does NFL media management view this podcast if you don't have time to do an open for I can, it? I can do an open. I've been every traveling. half year. I can do it. It's we need a, fresh opens every couple months. I'm not even asking for that. I can do it. It's a I'm asking. Thing. I'm asking for two a calendar year. Done. Not yet. <laughs> It'll be done on Thursday. Why are people watching it? Because it's on television. Not yet. <laughs> That's right. Good sign for International shout out, Rich. Yes. Uh, Sharn Llewellyn is a uh, Wales Steeler fan. Why wouldn't he be? It's a, it's a she, actually. What? <laughs> That just about sums up the past That's 10 minutes. That's for the open. That about sums up the past 10 minutes of the she show. She sent me multiple tweets to uh, to clarify all Excellent. this. Excellent. Excellent. And they just beat England to win the Rugby Six Nations, she said. So there you go. Nice shout out. Quality. <sighs> all right. Michael Crabtree, back half of this week. Another guest to be named. On a show that includes a new Open. A lot of pressure on this. You are open. on the clock. Now. A lot of new pressure. <laughs> Chris Law is on the clock. Guys, tweet tweet at me if you have any suggestions of uh, what you'd like. Uh, Chris Law, where do we stand on that? Last last thing, where are we checking? What? What are we? What, hey, who's cracked three thousand? Not yet. You uh, haven't. I'm on the doorstep. Dude, step. you were you were you were like ten away. I know. I think you lost some. I've lost a few. I'm at I'm at twenty nine eighty four. Oh, you're 16 away. And where are you? I'm, I'm at 20, uh, just a little over 2,900. I was, uh, he was up on me for a while. I went up on him, and then the red carpet. The just red carpet blew me Oh, the power I, of the Academy Awards. I picked up like 300 carpet. on the red carpet. So. Yes, he's up on me. All right, right at Chris Law and at Chris Brockman on the doorstep of 3,000. Um, uh, at Rich Eisen for Happy Eisen Podcast signing off. Stay listening, friends.